All right, let's get into Exodus 22, starting in verse 16. You know, um, in the Psalms, Psalm 119.97 says, Oh, how I love thy law. And it's an exclamation point. Oh, how I love thy law. So he's kind of talking out loud. It is my meditation all the day. And when I, you know, when I used to uh, think about the law, I'm going, man, I'm not going to meditate on the law. That's, I mean, how boring can you get? And here's, here's David going, I meditate on it the whole day. I'm going, man. And this is the love he has, not for the law, but for the Lord. He loves the law because it's from the Lord. It's his voice. And right here, starting in verse 16, uh, we, we read judgments uh, that are to be made, uh, not only in civil matters, but these are matters regarding God's people. Now dealing with people, living together, and dealing with one another. These, these would provide fair and righteous judgments in dealing with one another. Remember, they just came out of Egypt. They've had years of influence from the Egyptians. And God has to show them and teach them. The Bible says that man is deceitful and wicked. Right? Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And reading these verses, one would begin to unmistakably believe that God knows the human heart. He knows us. He knows our hearts. He knows the way we think, doesn't he? And uh, this is what God is saying. These things right here are good. It's what God wants. But in our flesh, we, we want our way, right? Not God's way. And God needed to lay down the law. The children of Israel had 430 years of Egyptian influence. Egyptians' laws, their culture, right? Exodus chapter 12 tells us that. 430 years. That's a long time. Cultures are formed, I mean, in, in less time than that. The Egyptians had a culture living under dictatorship of a king who believed that he was God. So God needed to set a new order, his order. Right? And uh, the, last, uh, the last study we had, uh, Don Thomas was doing, doing the study, and I like what he said. He goes, without order, we're savages. God needed to lay down the order because we're savages. And it may seem a bit random at first, uh, like when we read through these entire passages, uh, but it's not, it's not arbitrary. It's not haphazardly written down. The Word of God uh, is given to us uh, not without purpose or meaning. And we'll find that each of these offenses that we read here are against God. They're against Him. They're, they are rebellion. So let's read Exodus twenty two sixteen to thirty one. If if a man entices a virgin who is not betrothed and lies with her, he shall surely pay the bride price for her to be his wife. If her father utterly refuses to give her to him, he shall pay money 
according to the bride price of virgins. You shall not permit a sorceress to live. Whoever lies with an animal shall surely be put to death. He who sacrifices to any god except to the Lord only, he shall be utterly destroyed. You shall neither mistreat a stranger nor oppress him, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. If you inflict them in any way and they cry at all to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will become hot and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives shall be widows and your children fatherless. If you lend money to any of my people who are poor among you, you shall not be like a money lender to him. You shall not charge him interest. If you ever take your neighbor's garment as a pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down. For that is his only covering. It is his garment for his skin. What will he sleep in? And it will be that when he cries to me, I will hear, for I am gracious. You shall not revile God, nor curse a ruler of your people. You shall not delay to offer the first of your ripe produce and your juices, the firstborn of your sons you shall give to me. Likewise, you shall do with your oxen and your sheep. It shall be with its mother seven days. On the eighth day you shall give it to me, and you shall be holy men to me. You shall not eat meat torn by beasts in the field. You shall throw it to the dogs. That's the end of the chapter right there. Now, you see, we go through succession here, all these verses, and we think, oh man, they're kind of random, but they're not. Let's go over, um, well, we have it in, in parts here. Verses 16 through 20, we see man against God. In verses 21 through 27, we see uh, man against man. And in verses 28 to 31 at the end, man to honor God. Verse 16, he says, If a man entices a virgin who is not betrothed or engaged, and he lies with her, he shall surely pay the bride price for her to be his wife. All right, so these two verses, 16 and 17, laws regarding seduction. Of course, uh, there's some women who will seduce men, and they have reasons for that. They usually want to gain something or get money out of it, but it's, it's the man who selfishly usually desires uh, for pleasure for the moment. It's usually the man who practices how to seduce a woman. And who's God taking care of here? The woman, right? The young woman, yes. And why does God have to do this? God, God knows our hearts. Deceitfully wicked men. He knows the lustful hearts of men. Yeah, dogs. But more so we see the Lord wanting to teach us and the children of Israel here Moral responsibility, right? The man seduced her. They allowed their passions to take over. Pay the price. Make her your wife. 
God would have to take, would have us or the children of Israel, his people, to take the higher road, to marry her, to do the right thing, to make it right. And it's for the rest of his life. But is the Lord saying that they have to get married? Well, he says to marry her, yes. But look at it in verse 17. The father can refuse. If the dad says no, that's it. But he still has to pay. He still has to pay. He still has to be responsible. If this guy's an idiot, the dad knows. He's like, uh-uh. I'm, I'm not going you know, to let you take my little girl. This, this guy's a, a, a dog. So is the Lord saying you have to marry her? No. Is the Lord saying you have to pay for what you've done? Yes. The man is to be responsible. Be responsible. Now, mistakes happen. Maybe uh, consent was, was mutual, you know, for both. But it says here that she was not betrothed. So an engagement has not taken place. And maybe they were... Uh, consenting adults but they were messing around and they they got busted and uh, he's like you have to marry you have to marry her and if the dad says no then no you're still going to have to pay the dad may refuse to give her to him and who's the authority here then the father right the father is the authority he says a defiled woman often have been looked at in a much less favorable light in consideration for marriage after this. The possibility that the daughter would ever marry is greatly reduced right here. It's really sad that in today's culture, um, that's no longer the case. You know, men are looking for women who have experience. And isn't that like the world to just turn everything backwards? Well, God wants to be holy. Satan will turn that around, make everything backwards. The custom of the bride price was something of value to the whole family. So if she was no longer a virgin, the whole family was affected by this. She's not just a pure, untouched woman. She is her father's daughter, loved and raised and protected all her life. And is God demanding death for justice right here? No. He didn't say kill him. No. A man seduces her, and God is demanding responsibility. When a man defiles another man's daughter, who's not betrothed, she's not engaged, right? He, that guy, is acting against the established authority within her house, the father, as a representative of the Lord to his family, right, to the dad. And it is an attack against the Lord. These verses right here define an offense against God. Rebellion against God. Let's go on to verse 18. You shall not permit a sorceress 
to live. It's uh, in the feminine here. We get the word witch. Witchcraft. Now, in culturally, more women were practicing witchcraft. And there's a lot of scripture that refers to women practicing this kind of uh, uh, mediums and, and, and witchcraft and sorcery. But men are also included, but mainly women. Leviticus 20.27 says, A man or a woman who is a medium or who is familiar with spirits shall surely be put to death. They shall stone them with stones. Their blood shall be upon them. And let's look at Deuteronomy 18, 9 through 14. When you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire, which was like magic, or one who practices witchcraft or soothsaying, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out before you, from before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations which you will dispossess, listened to soothsayers and diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not appointed such for you. Look at uh, 1 Samuel 28. Remember, uh, it's all about King Saul going to a, a, a witch. Right? Saul, Saul was, was confronted with a battle and Samuel was dead. He was gone. He couldn't go to Samuel. Couldn't run to Samuel anymore. God had already rejected him, Saul. And he, he, he was scared. And so what did he do? He asked his guys to go get, go get a medium. Go find somebody I could talk to to get some counsel here. And so they, hey, we know, we know of a witch down in Endor. And, uh, and so they went over there to her. And he went in disguise. And uh, that whole chapter. And, 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 and Samuel did come out. And he said, God has rejected you. You're going to die. You know, if we re- you can read on your own, Isaiah 47. The Lord is taking, talking to the women in Isaiah 47 and their witchcraft and sorcery of Babylon. Not only were they evil in their practices, but they were also arrogant in their attitudes. And you see right there in that whole chapter how much God hates that stuff. God hates. That's... It's kind of a strange thing, but, uh, you know, if we think about it, God is love, but can God hate? Yes, yes. Look at Deuteronomy twelve thirty one, Idol worship, he says he hates that. And again in uh, Deuteronomy sixteen twenty two, Idol worship, he hates that. And then at the end of, uh, of the Old Testament, Malachi, he talks about divorce. He says, I hate divorce. God hates that. Can God hate? Yes. It's, re- 
It's, it's rebellion against God we see these things. And he's trying to teach his people to, to change their, their way of thinking. 430 years of cultural influence from Egypt. All right, verse 19. Whoever lies with an animal shall surely be put to death. Do we know what he's talking about right here? We're not talking about lying down, going to sleep. A little cuddle with a, with your cat or your dog. No, no, no. Basically, and as crudely, there's no other way to say it, having sex with animals. That's crazy. Leviticus 18. We have laws of sexual immorality. And in verse 23, it says, Nor shall you mate with any animal to defile yourself with it. Nor shall any woman stand before an animal to mate with it. It is perversion. And to pervert something from its original intent that God is, that God has created for us, that's evil. You see the evil in that, the rebellion. This beautiful world, this creation. You look at the mountains, the trees, and the water, and the animals, the beautiful God, God's creation, and then turn it to, to look so horrifying and, and perverse. It's evil. And that's what Satan wants. God creates this beautiful thing, and Satan wants to make it ugly. Because if you see this beautiful mountain and the trees and you see the, the animals and you see the, the, the varying types and, and you may turn to God and glorify God. Wow, God is so awesome. But Satan doesn't want that. He wants you to see it as ugly and perverse. It's rebellion against God. Verse 20. He who sacrifices to any God except to the Lord only, he shall be utterly destroyed. A direct violation right here of commandment number one. You shall have no other gods before me. Right? We read that in Exodus 20. In verse 3. We just turned a page from there in our Bibles. And already the Lord's already reminding them not to do this. This sinful nature, you know, and, and, and this sinful nature over and over again. And why does God have to remind us? Because we sin over and over again. We're sinners. We need, be, we need to be praying over and over again to stop that sin in our lives. Lying. Lusting over women, men, selfishness, arrogance. You know, we're, we're sinners. We falter. And 1 John 1, 8 and 9 tells us, if we, if we say that we have no sin, and we, then we deceive ourselves, right? And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, but you see the arrogance, you see the selfishness. And 
And it's a, a direct violation of God's commandment. The first one, the very first one. Verse 21. You shall neither mistreat a stranger, nor oppress him, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. The mistreatment of strangers, the oppressing of strangers. I like that piano. (laughs) The oppression of strangers. Why is that? That God would have to remind... (laughs) It's the button on the side. (laughs) (laughs) That's all right. That's right. Why is it that God would have to remind His people to remember what He did for them? You know, yeah. Are we that dumb? Yeah. Um, Are we that forgetful? Yeah. Now, the Jewish people, the Hebrew children of Israel, were to show compassion toward foreigners in the land because they were foreigners in Egypt. Right? We turn back to Genesis 47, verse 27 says that Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt. They had possessions and they multiplied. They were not oppressed, right? Joseph was there and they brought Jacob in and, and they had a land, a Goshen. They were, they, were, they were there. They took possession and they grew until a new king came in who forgot about God, who forgot about what Joseph had done and the whole story, he just forgot all about it. Just forgot about Joseph, what the Lord had did in Egypt. And this new king oppressed the children of Israel because he saw that they were many, the Bible says, and that they were mightier. And out of his fear and lack of knowledge of God, oh, he oppressed God's people. He turned them into slaves. So God is saying to have compassion on the stranger the foreigner. Remember the compassion that the Lord had on you. He saved you. He's forgiven you. Don't forget that. Don't forget about what God did in your life and how He used others. They were praying for you. And then you got saved. Somebody asked me about when I got saved because I was a kid growing up in church and I didn't have that grand you know salvation story where where I got saved and I remembered that day and it was it was momentous I got saved and I and I accounted to this day I'm not even sure it was this day because I've grown up listening to John 3.16 all my life. But I wasn't sure. But anyway, I was at this concert and a friend of mine was with me and they were asking people to come up front. You want to get saved? You should do it now. And, and nobody was coming up front. And there was a lot of people there. And my friend says, hey, maybe we should walk up there. I go, nah, 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 nah. And he's like, no, 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 come on. We should walk up there. Come on, walk up there with me. And I said, oh. all right, I'll walk up there with you. But, you know, I've heard all this stuff before. I'm, 
I'm good. You know, but I'll walk up there with you. I walked up there with him. And, and I hadn't remembered this for a long time, but he, uh, we got there and they started praying for us. They said, let's pray for these two young men. They got saved. They're like, oh, they're plot. I'm like, oh, say this prayer. You know, it was so exciting. And I said, okay, I'll say the prayer. They, I, I didn't have a chance to tell. I'm only here for him. You know, I just, <laughs> I was just going to say it. I wasn't going to say anything. So I, I just said the prayer. And, uh, you know, they were all congratulating me and stuff. And they had this little uh, coffee and cookies area afterwards. And people were coming up to me and saying, oh, aren't you, so, aren't you so glad you got saved? And I'm like, oh, whatever, okay. Um, and then later I got home and, and um, one of my teachers from high school, she was the one who invited us to go over to that church. She was there. And she comes up to me and goes, oh, you got saved. That's so good. She was so excited for me. And I'm... I'm thinking, wow, did I get saved? Did I just, maybe I really did just get saved. I'd never said that prayer out loud like that. In fact, uh, I was going to a Spanish-speaking church. I wasn't saying prayers like that in Spanish. It's like, oh, maybe I did get saved. I started thinking, well, maybe I need to go into the world and get into some deep sin so that I could have that conversion that everybody's so excited about. So stupid. That's so dumb. Anyway. Uh, where were we? Verse 21. The oppression of strangers. All right. All right. Do we go to verse 22? So, Okay. I know I was talking about God saving his people, God saving us. God is, God is trying to save people. He wants you to have compassion for strangers because he's trying to save them. He doesn't want any to perish, the Bible says. God is all about saving people, saving your neighbors, saving your friends, saving your coworkers, people who walk into this church. Be nice to them. Show compassion to them. They may need the Lord. Remember, uh, remember Jonah? God was calling him to save Nineveh, to go out there and preach to them. Jonah didn't want to do that. God knew, or Jonah knew that God would be merciful to them. Jonah didn't like those people. He didn't want them to get saved. And it wasn't until Jonah confessed, right? He says, I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. And it wasn't until he said that, that the fish actually vomited him out onto dry land and he was able to, to go and proclaim his message. Salvation is of the Lord. He's trying to save people. He's in that kind of business to save people. And how can he save them if you're oppressing them? How can the children of Israel be an example to the nations when they're a bad example themselves and they're oppressing people? It's not good. How can he show his mercy through us? How can he show his mercy through you if you don't show mercy mercy in your life? If you don't show his love in your life, his compassion, 
His kindness in your life. Verse 22. You shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. If you afflict them in any way and they cry at all to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will become hot and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives shall be widows, your children fatherless. Wow. That sounds pretty threatening right there. God has a special place in his heart for these people. The widows and the fatherless children. Widows, a woman without a husband, her husband's dying. And this, these are single moms and their fatherless children. And this special place in his heart for them. And we know that this is special because the Lord takes it upon himself to enforce this commandment. He's not telling authorities, hey, you go and kill this guy. Hey, you stone these people. No, he's saying, you leave it to me. I'm going to take care of this guy. I'm going to take care of these people. You're going to make me really angry. And my wrath, and, and I'll, I'll kill you with the sword. And you're the one who's going to, you're, you're the one whose wife's going to be without a husband. And your children are going to be without fathers. How do you like that? And this is tough. He says, no, no, no. I don't want the people to take revenge. He says, you leave them to me. God's not warning Israel because they don't do these things. Obviously, it was something that was common. This is happening. And this is happening today. And God warns them again and again. You see in Jeremiah chapter 7, starting at verse 5. He says, For if you thoroughly amend your ways and your doings, right, what's actually happening, if you thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, if you do not oppress the stranger, right, if you stop it, the fatherless, the widow, and you do not shed innocent blood in this place or walk after other gods to your hurt, then I will cause you to dwell in this place, in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. See, later on in Jeremiah, God is saying, you guys are doing exactly what I told you not to do. Stop it. If you stop it, I will let you dwell in this land. I promised it to your, to your fathers. And years, even years later after this, at the end of the Old Testament in Malachi, chapter 3, he says, And I will come near you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against sorcerers, against adulterers, against perjurers, against those who exploit wage earners, and widows and orphans. See, they're still doing it. And against those who turn away an alien, right? A foreigner, a stranger. Why? Because they do not fear me, he says. Says the Lord of hosts. And he continues, for I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. 
Yet from the days of your fathers you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall we return? (laughs) In their arrogance in Malachi. What do you mean, God? We're doing these things. We're fine. We don't understand your accusations against us. Like, Like God doesn't know. God's, like God's not seeing this. In their arrogance, they continue to turn away from the Lord. In our arrogance, we continue to turn away from the Lord. In the sins that we're repeating over and over again, we need to turn to Him. That rebellion against authority. Verse 25. If you lend money. Oh, now we're getting to the touchy part here. Money. If you lend money to any of my people who are poor among you, you shall not be like a money lender to him. You shall not charge him interest. Oh, no interest. To who? To the poor. This guy is poor. Why are you charging him interest? He's poor. Now, obviously, this practice of making money by lending it to the poor was going on back here in these days. It was going on. It's it's nothing new. You see it happening all over. You see it in the commercials on TV. They don't have any money to be giving, and they're giving it. And they're, they're they're, they're making money off the poor. The Lord doesn't want He doesn't want this for the Jewish nation. For God's children. Why? We already talked about it. The the compassion for people. The the poor person. Have some compassion. Really, what we see here is, is profiting off the backs of the poor. And even Jesus said, the poor is always going to be with you. Right? John 12. And and we see this ongoing compassion. There's going to be poor. You're going to, you have to have some compassion for them. In the Hebrew, there's a noun, uh, it's called, um, it's pronounced neshek, or, uh, and it, it means interest. And it comes from the verb neshek, which means to bite. And if one were to charge interest from a poor person, it would be as if allowing a serpent to bite them. And matters for the poor man would only get worse, not better. Not better. And so the Lord forbids it. He doesn't want you to make matters worse for that poor person. Make it better. And and a pledge. He starts talking about in verse 26. If you ever take your neighbor's garment... As a pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down. A pledge using a garment or a cloak or like a blanket. It's basically what he's covering himself to keep himself warm and then what he uses to lie down with when it's time to go to sleep. And this is a practice that the poor, the extreme poor, that's all they had. The shirt off their back. That's all they had. 
and they needed food. And they would try to work for it. They, but they weren't sure how they were going to pay for it. We need something to make sure you stay here and you work for this. Let me have your blanket. Give me your cloak. I'll hang on to it. And then you do your work. And when you're done, and I see that you did a good job, I'll give you your cloak back. And I'll, I'll you know, pay you. But what was happening was they wouldn't give it back. And the poor guy has to go over there and freeze at night. And he worked all day for him. A common practice. Return the cloak at night. It was the only thing he had. It was like, you know, the guy, the guy who, the boss or whoever it was who, who took the cloak as a pledge, it was just sitting there in his house, probably in some corner with all the other dirty clothes. And the poor guy is out there sleeping, freezing to death. Just give it back to him and let him have his blanket. Don't be so cruel. And so God is saying this because this was happening. This was, these are practices that were going on. And God is trying to teach us, don't be like that. Don't be so mean, you know. Don't have some compassion for your fellow human. I mean, this is, he's just, he's out there in his skin, you know. Verse 27 says that. For that is his only covering. It is his garment for his skin. What will he sleep in? And it will be that when he cries to me, right? He's going to go, oh God, please. I'm freezing. Keep me warm. God says, oh, when I hear this, it better not come to me. He goes, for I am gracious. I'm not like you. I am gracious. He's trying to teach the children of Israel here some lessons, and and they're lessons for us. Verse 28. Verse 28 and 31, all the way to the end. 28 to 31, we see uh, man to honor God. Verse 28. You shall not revile God, nor curse a ruler of your people. See, the Lord is going to receive his portion too. His honor in remembering that all, all that he has done for us. To thank him, to praise him, worship him, obey. Obey, it's a big word, obey. It sounds weird, obey. Obey his commandments. And the same for the rulers. Don't be cursing God and don't be cursing the rulers. Right, those rulers in authority, It's the Lord who put them in there. God put them in their place. So whether it is an offerings with your possessions and your sacrifices to the Lord to honor the Lord, honor Him, remember. Even unto your family. He starts talking about the firstborn and the firstfruits. Verse 29, you shall not delay to offer the first of your ripe produce and your juices, the firstborn of your sons, you shall give to me. 
your family, all your labor, all your hard work. The sacrifices and the honor go to the Lord. See, but we see later, the children of Israel, they didn't, they didn't listen to this. They, they didn't take heed to God's word. Look at it in uh, Malachi once again. Chapter 1, starting in verse 8, he says, And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? When you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? But now, entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us while this is being done by your hands. Will he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? Who is there even among you who would shut the doors so that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain? I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts. Nor will I accept an offering from your hands. They were bringing sick and lame little sheep. The ones that they couldn't sell. The ugly ones. We'll give those to God. The leftovers. God doesn't want your leftovers. He wants the first fruits. He says it right there. We just read it. The first of your sons, the first of your ripe produce, not the unripe, the ripe stuff. There's still enough for you. But give him the first. Right? But yet, they didn't listen to that. And they were given God the seconds, the leftovers. Well, give it to your governor. Let's see if he likes it. <laughs> no, he's not going to like it. You can say, hey, where's my respect? God describes here, in verse 30 now, mercy and obedience. Likewise, he says, you shall do with your oxen and your sheep. It shall be with its mother seven days. On the eighth day, you shall give it to me. You know, he's not going to take an animal that still needs its mother. He just talked about children and parents. And, and you see the same thing in the compassion. God has even compassion for the small little baby animals. So no, go ahead. Leave it with its mother. But on the eighth day, then you can sacrifice it. Bring it to me. So he has mercy on the animals, but he wants obedience. Mercy and obedience coming together. Mercy and obedience. We see that in our lives. God had mercy on us. He wants obedience from us. Verse 31. And you shall be holy men to me. You shall not eat meat torn by beasts in the field. You shall throw it to the dogs. So, the eating of meat, which was uh, torn by beasts, was forbidden um, for, two, for two reasons. The first is that it had not been uh, properly uh, bled, making it unclean. And secondly, the beast 
which tore the animal apart, right, would have been, it would have been an unclean animal. And so um, it would pass on that ceremonial uh, defilement. So now there's two. So you're defiled in two ways. So this was forbidden. And it is the intent of the heart, really, because this was something that in its strictness was causing um, a good health practice, not to be uh, eating blood, but it was obedience. It was obedience in, in the heart. He said, no, don't do this. And he had to tell them over and over again not to do this because they kept doing it. You know, you would see a big cow out there in the road and a lion got it and only took a little portion of it and the rest of it's there. Hey, that looks good. There's some good ribs right there. God said, don't do that. Leave it for the dogs. It's only good for dogs. You're not a dog. Obey. And they think, well, nobody saw me. I'm out here in the wild. I'll just grab it and take it and I'll come home and say, hey, look what I caught. You caught a cow, really? God sees what you're doing. He wants obedience. In Leviticus chapter 17, I'll let you read that on your own. There's strict laws given right there regarding the eating of meat in this way. Talks all about it. So throwing your food to the docks, it was also showing how it was so low. I have a dog and I think she'll eat anything. I tell my wife, well, I think we have a goat because this, this dog eats everything. I think she's a pig. And dogs will eat anything. And so he says, no, that, that's only good for dogs. That's scraps. Let them eat that off the floor. That's not for you. It is the intent of your heart that God wants. Obedience to the Lord. To live for Him. To honor Him through obedience. And right here, that's, that's what He's telling the people of Israel here. This moral and these ceremonial principles. There are reasons, but there's obedience to authority. To remember the Lord. So chapter 23 next week, gentlemen, gets better. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you show us over and over again, Lord, that you just want us to obey. Lord, you, you, you spell it out in your word over and over again to teach us, Lord, about who you are, about what you want for our lives, the way we should behave, the things that we should do, how we should deal with one another, the compassion that we should have for our fellow man, for the stranger who comes in, for the person we don't know. Lord, that we would show them your love, show them your mercy. Lord, that your light would forever shine in our lives that we would be a good witness to all around us, to our friends, to our family, to the co-workers. Lord, to those people who know that we're Christians, 
that they would see it in our love, that they would see it in your love. God, in everything that we do, Lord, we thank you, God, for your word. We pray, Lord, that you would touch our hearts, Lord, in a way that would change us, Lord, to be useful for your kingdom, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, guys.